Well, the virus has now killed more than 100 people in China, and new cases have been confirmed around the world. So you don't want to frighten the American public. France and South Korea have also got evacuation plans. But you need to prepare for and assume. Strongly warning Americans to avoid all non-essential travel to China. That this is going to be a real serious problem. France, Australia, Canada, the US, Singapore, Cambodia, Vietnam, the list goes on. Health officials are investigating more than 100 possible cases in the US. Germany, a man has uh, contracted the virus. The epidemic is a demon and we cannot let this demon hide. Japan, where a bus driver uh, contracted the virus. Coronavirus has killed more than 100 people there and infected more than 4,500. We have to prepare for the worst, always, because if you don't and the worst happens. War Room Pandemic. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. When there is police misconduct, the justice system must hold wrongdoers fully and completely accountable, and it will. But when we can never have a situation where things are going on as they are today, we must never allow mob rule. We can never allow mob rule. In the strongest possible terms, the Republican Party condemns the rioting, looting, arson, and violence we have seen in Democrat-run cities all, like Kenosha, Minneapolis, Portland, Chicago, and New York, and many others, Democrat-run, and cheered the rise of China as a positive development for America and the world, some positive development. That's why China supports Joe Biden and desperately wants him to win, I can tell you that, upon very good information. China would own our country if Joe Biden got elected. Unlike Biden, I will hold them fully accountable for the tragedy that they caused all over the world, they caused. In recent months, our nation and the world has been hit by the once-in-a-century pandemic that China allowed to spread around the globe. They could have stopped it, but they allowed it to come out. Friday, August the 28th, the year of our Lord, 2020, episode 358 of War and Pandemic begins here on the John Fredericks Radio Network on America's Voice, Dart News, later on Newsmax TV, and blown through the CCP's firewall by G News and GTV, subtitled in Mandarin, so the great people of China, yearning to be free, get all the information, the great deplorables of this nation and the greater west get every single day here on war room pandemic i think last night gentlemen was an incredibly historic moment not just in the fact that we saw uh, the rnc conclude at the white house something we've never seen uh, before and lots of consternation amongst the media about that today but the visuals uh, the speech the thematics and the fact that as we mentioned in the first hour, you put, you had Kamala Harris go up there to try and kind of pre-butt the president of the United States. You had Nancy Pelosi out there, really forced to go out there uh, by the series of events that had unfolded the three days prior and what was about to come in the evening, which was President Trump's speech alongside others last night, other great ones last night. We have clips from uh, Mayor Giuliani and, and, and more. 
And now what's the response today? The response, as far as I've seen on the national news today, it's nitpicking numbers in the speech, the 3.8 trillion, not the 4 trillion, and it's they weren't wearing masks when they went to the speech. Gentlemen? This, the, the, look, the scale of it gobsmacked them. They, they thought even using the White House, they did not expect it to come off this flawlessly, that the Republican uh, uh, Party uh, that run uh, uh, McDaniel and the campaign couldn't pull this off. They obviously pulled it off in a much better way than anybody in Hollywood could. It's just absolutely stunning visuals. Scale. You, you, how do you do scale? It's not easy. And the thing last night was just it was magnificent, right, at, at a scale. that, that and That's why they're back on their back foot today. You've already had in the last couple of days, we're never going to concede. Uh, we're not going to debate. Uh, it, you know, we're going to do a pre-bottle everything he does because they weren't doing a good job of coming back because they didn't know how to handle no, average Americans, normal Americans, right? These were uh, ordinary people talking about extraordinary things, things in their lives and, and the policy. And the Democratic Party was caught flat-footed. The Biden campaign was caught flat-footed. Let me ask you something. Maybe I'm getting too in the weeds here on this, but you're a filmmaker. You know, you know Hollywood pretty well. Um, the scale, the only scale that Hollywood knows is destruction. Hollywood movies today that grab people's attention, the very few that still do, are based around destruction. Comic books, yeah. They can't do scale that shows... Uplifting. Uplifting, yeah. powerful, no. spiritual, no. and that's what the Trump campaign Aspira did last night. Aspirational. Last night it was aspirational. And that's why they couldn't deliver a, yeah. a DNC that was of scale. But DNC, they completely missed it because it was all tiny town. It was like a Zoom conference, right? Everything they did was small. Everything they did was, and it's not small intimate. It was small funky, right? right? Not, not, and it didn't pull you in, right? And that's why I was thinking, hey, I know they're doing trying to do something totally different uh, on the Republican, but and they really, they took it up 10 notches. I mean, it was, and this is why today, they're, got, they're nervous. So now you're going to see this is why this is going to be a turnout election. What you saw post, and that's why Trump said we're never going to kneel down to the mob. We're never going to have mob rule. The post uh, activities at, uh, at um, the White House mm. is what you're going to see more and more of. I think, you know, intimidation. And that's why it's going to be, hey, you've got to own your vote, right? And you've got to, you've got to get people out and get registered while there's still time to, to register. Remember, November 3rd is not election day. It's the last day of election. They're going to be early voting in these states. You've got to get the rules. It's incumbent upon you. People always ask us what to do. Well, hey, now it's very focused. 60 days. You should be pushing out. And look, call to action. Push this show out everywhere. The, one of the things we try to give you guys is honest insights, right? Honest insights. We, try to call, we, th we have thought the campaign has been you know, uh, sputtering. Up until a couple months ago, a part of it, we just said, hey, it's not a campaign. It's really from the White House. Action, action, action. The president's taking that to heart. It's actions every day. I think you're going to see a combination. He's going to give him a combo platter. Actions from the White House. And then going around in more, uh, I don't call them intimate settings. I think he'll be doing airport rallies. But going to a factory, they want to make sure they're, they're doing the stuff on social distance and everything with, uh, the, uh, with that. But that's why we continue. Why we continue to put, I shouldn't say push hydroxy, but give it its platform, right, is that we think that that's one thing that's got to be considered, right, along with this, obviously, the liability issues. Now, the Meadows and those guys are saying, hey, we're not even going to start discussing, really getting into negotiations of any other, uh, any other relief package until September. They're only here for two weeks. Remember, they come back on the 14th. I think they're gone two weeks later, and they're not back to after Election Day. So, look, we're heading towards, I don't know if this is the most important election in your lifetime. 
it's going to be the most contested election of your lifetime. This is going to be, they, they did the nullification project after Trump's come from behind victory in 16. Mm. Uh, and this is going to be, you know, I, I think uh, Mike Cernovich is, is, is correct, at least in part of it. They're going to put, they're going to use every tool in the toolbox uh, to come after people. They're going to use every tool in the toolbox uh, to intimidate people. Let's go to, we're going to, to Bradley Thayer is going to come on next time. We're talking about South China Sea, but he's going to respond to, and I take great pride in this, the first time you've heard, not China, but Chinese Communist Party, starting Monday night with Don Jr., Kimberly Guilfoyle, uh, others, and going all the way through last night, Tom Cotton's tee-up of the president, his, his evisceration of Biden. And then the president just came in and eviscerated again. It wasn't like it's, it's, too, good to, it's too good not to use again. I think we also need to look at the impact on the mind of the public watching this as it pertains to the pandemic, right? So the, the, the reason the Democrats were small and funky is because they were trying to use their thematics of their convention to show, hey, the country's not normal because of this pandemic and it's worse because of the president. And so they kind of intentionally uh, trip themselves up, hoist themselves with their own petard because they were so concerned with trying to make things look more difficult and make life look more difficult. But the country has known in its heart for some time that all these protesters can go outside in the streets without masks and not have anything. So what the Republican Party did and what the president did last night as it pertains to the pandemic is show, hey, we are going to get back to normal. We are going to get together. You know, the, the old song that, that played at the beginning of this pandemic when the Queen gave her address uh, to, to the British public, it was we'll meet again. And last night was really a we'll meet again moment. What um, let's talk about the pandemic, Jack, since you're the expert. How do you think the the Democrats? This is what the problem was. I thought is that the Democrats did not put out a alternative that they, they can continue to complain against Trump and Trump defended himself. I know it blew their heads up this week because it was relentless every day. You know, I blocked from China. I got the testing. I did ventilators. And the Democrats are just, you know, they think, oh, my God, he's convincing low information voters. We've got to We've got to fact check every time. Get get the. Uh, uh, the Philip uh, bl- uh, bump at the uh, at the uh, Washington Post on the phone, right? Give me a fact check. Um, but they did. They have not still proposed a coherent. They talked about President being incoherent. They have not proposed a coherent. If 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 Senator Harris flew in just to do the pre-bottle yesterday, and her pre-bottle was c- central to the their pandemic. I don't really see what, how that's updated or even thought through more than the March plan. Jump in here, guys. I think we have clips, right, if, if, of Kamala. Yeah, we have a few clips. Uh, I, the Kamala um, speech, just to, the pre-buttal, just totally, totally fell flat. Um, you know, she was making all these, again, your, as you said, path, pathos type appeals. Um, let's yeah, see. clip three, clip four. Let's, let's roll clip four. Um, let's get that teed up, uh, AVN, while we uh, while we lead into it. It was it was it was pathos. It was emotionally driven. There was n- there was no substance to it. And like Steve says, they didn't even come out and really update their plan. She came out and said it. The, uh, we hit, uh, Joe Biden had a March twenty fourth twenty fifth plan, and that's what they're pushing. But let's roll this clip. Before the virus hit, Trump made our country vulnerable. After it was struck. He failed to do what was necessary. As it continues, he's making it worse every day. What I find incredible about her is the delivery is so, so small. It's so bad. 
and she's clearly struggling to read from a prompter there. And I don't know if you guys saw the Anderson Cooper interview with Joe Biden. Joe Biden was clearly reading from notes on the table in front of him. He kept glancing down at the table. Here's one thing, and we can tell this from the show, so maybe they take a a lesson from War of Pandemic. It's granularity. If you're going to sit up there, we're so far, I think, the American people, they understand you've got a pandemic, an economic inferno, all of that. They get it because their lives are affected by it. They want details. They want facts. She sits up there, and it's just this kind of hollow rhetoric, which is what you saw last week. You know, Vish went to Oxford on me, or Raheem Kassam on me, and said it's all pathos. Not uh, not logos and uh, no ethos, no ethos and no logos. Not, they don't have the Aristotelian. They don't understand that the American people, uh, the deplorables, working men, Lao Bai Jing, they they don't want to hear the rhetorical flourishes anymore. It's one of the reasons that they, they still don't understand Donald Trump. He hits you like a jackhammer right in the solar plexus, but he connects with the common man. They understand he doesn't speak in a uh, in a in a political vernacular, and that's what drives them nuts. I knew last night they were in meltdown when they saw that not only did he do it at the White House, he did it at a scale of the White House, and you, and and and, uh, and I knew that from the, uh, the from the troll on the on the ele- escalator scene to the end with uh, with uh, po- poverty with the uh, great uh, from La Scalia or for, from uh, with the Milan Opera, right? Yeah, Nessendorma. Yeah, yeah Nessendorma. The uh, by the way, you remember that from the Turin Winter Olympics, uh, Vish? Yeah, that's that. I, th- I knew that that speech and that finish was going to be lit as soon as he came down <laughs> came down those stairs i i immediately knew like r- first of all my mind went right back to the campaign the 2015 mm-hmm. you know campaign announcement and i feel feel like he recreated that scene and also 100%. there's some there's some symbolism there of him walking down from the white house and then accepting his nomination like i am now here for the campaign and i'm going full speed right yeah. and then f- and finish with the literal bang yeah, and, the, and and you know the the lyrics again of the of the opera. I will win. I will win. Um, and and you know who else is blowing up over this? Very clearly is upset by this. Is the Drudge Report? He's the homepage of the Drudge Report is nothing. You'd think they'd have the big imagery from last night. Something. He's got some cartoons things there. All the media is in the mumble tank. They have no yeah. unified message on what's wrong with this. You right. got to go to that, Citizens yeah. Free Press, Revolver, yeah. these other yeah. sites that are starting to 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 to, to come up. You, you would think you'd have to have the scale. You'd have to have the beautiful, uh, the beautiful imagery because they're using imagery in a very important way. Biden, the, the the Biden has got to come out of the box. They flushed him out. I've said this now for months. You're not going to talk him out of there. You're going to force him out with use the forcing function is action. Their actions last night. He just cannot continue to hide. The proof of life podcast did not work so jill's got to take the bib off you know pack him a lunch send him out into the cold cruel world right with that he's got a script on anderson cooper if you need a script on anderson cooper brother come on come on man man come on man come on man okay we're gonna return take you to the south china sea with dr bradley thayer next War Room Pandemic with Stephen K. Bannon. The epidemic is a demon, and we cannot let this demon hide. War Room Pandemic. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. Joe Biden coddled socialist dictators in Cuba and Venezuela. President Trump fights against communism 
in America's backyard and around the world. And on the Communist Party of China, there is no comparison. Joe Biden aided and abetted China's rise for 50 years with terrible trade deals that closed our factories and laid off our workers. President Trump stands up to China's cheating and stealing and lying. Joe Biden allowed Chinese fentanyl to flood across our southern border. President Trump sanctioned Chinese drug dealers for poisoning our kids. Joe Biden said Chinese communists aren't even our competitor, aren't bad folks. Just months before they unleashed this plague on the world, President Trump is clear-eyed about the Chinese threat and he is making China pay. But China's not giving up. In fact, they're rooting for Joe Biden. America's other enemies won't give up either. But Joe Biden would be as wrong and weak over the next four years as he has. Welcome back to the War Room, America's Voice, Newsmax TV, G News, G Media, and the subtitle of Mandarin, John Frederick's Radio Network, Ubiquitous, Pluto TV, uh, Raiku, Raiku? Roku. Roku, thank you. Okay, Boomer. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Everywhere, ubiquitous. Uh, and now over 13.2 million downloads in uh, on the podcast, which is amazing given we're everywhere else. Um, I don't believe ever in a national convention, at least in modern history, even during the height of the Cold War, I don't think we've ever had a beatdown by a, a sitting United States senator who's running unopposed in this election. Senator Tom Cotton of Arkansas aided and abetted the rise of China, aided and abetted the Chinese Communist Party, got the lingo right, got the nomenclature right. It's not China. It's not the Chinese people. They're the victims here. Aided and abetted their rise, accused them of, uh, of uh, supporting and working with the drug cartels in fentanyl, which is 50,000 people a year. That's an act of war. And then unleashed, unleashed the plague from China, the Chinese Communist Party. Three pretty, and he said, aided and abetted, and that they're rooting for him. That the Democratic Party and Joe Biden personally has got to respond to this. That's, right? This is a throat. This is a throwdown. This, this guy's not some. He's not a guy. <clears throat> he's not somebody in war room pandemic. <clears throat> we pride ourselves in exposing this every day. But this is a sitting United States senator. I think it was in the short list. When I say short list, top three to five of guys for 2024, people are considering for President of the United States. He's former 101st Airborne, Harvard Law, right, um, and, uh, and volunteered after that, after law school, instead of going to Wall Street and some white shoe law firm, went became a uh, paratrooper, air assault, and had, what, three combat tours uh, in, uh, in the wars in the Middle East and Afghanistan and Iraq. This, is, this, is a, this guy's a hero. And he threw down on Joe Biden yesterday. Joe Biden, the Democrats, they've gone total crickets on China. They think they can avoid it. This is going to be a defining... Uh, you know, Richard Haas is just wrong. There, there was so every night there was there was there was just hammers on this. I want to bring in now one of the smartest guys about this to talk about, particularly our Hampton Roads audience. We know that you, the greatest naval base in the world, Norfolk. We're bringing in now. We're bringing in now, Dr. Bradley, uh, Dr. Bradley Thayer. Before we talk about the South China Sea and the CCP, Dr. Thayer, I've got to get your response to or your observations on Tom Cotton's throwdown. Of not just Joe Biden, but also the Chinese Communist Party. If I'm in Beijing last night watching that, or I guess it was early morning Friday in Beijing, I'm not I'm not feeling very well. What, what what's your observations about Cotton going after Beijing and going after uh, 
Biden as basically a collaborator? It was a, a very, very significant speech. Um, what Senator Cotton uh, accomplished last night. From Beijing's perspective, I think they're beginning to recognize that uh, the situation is changing, right? A, a line has been crossed. And Cotton and others, as well as President Trump's speech uh, last night, are really starting to frame uh, American interests uh, and the way forward, which are sensitive to the new realities of international politics, which is that China is now a pure competitor of the United States, and the United States needs to resist it. So Cotton and Trump, I, both, I see both of those speeches as, as being akin to Churchill's 1946 uh, Iron Curtain speech or um, shades of Ronald Reagan's 1983 Evil Empire speech, where in both of those instances, a line was drawn between the old order, the old regime, uh, and uh, the new realities of, of peer competition. So Biden and so many others uh, in, in um, uh, the the political elite of the United States, as well as Wall Street financiers and so many others, worked hand in glove with the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, to the great cost of the interests of the United States, of uh, dangers to the homeland, to U.S. manufacturing, um, and global interests, our alliance relationships and other uh, um, uh, very significant um, issues that we have in international politics. So Biden is really the old regime. He's the one who wants to get along with China. China's not a threat, right? We can go back to the way it used to be, right, before Trump was elected. But, of course, there's no going back to that. And um, uh, there's no going back to a China that's willing to be subordinate uh, to the United States or to a liberal international order. In fact, the CCP is creating their own order um, in international politics, which is a direct threat uh, to the United States, our interests, and our allies. We have uh, talked, uh, you said there's no going back to the old order. And I've said for a while, the international rules-based post-war order, the problem is, is that China changed us. China, it wasn't really an order because they got in and changed the rules of the game and everybody went along with it. It wasn't really rules-based. It was their rules, the way they interpreted them. And that's what the financiers in the city of London and Wall Street and the global corporations played along with it. And that's what had to be broken. That's the, that's the boil that Donald Trump lanced. But last night, I agree with you. I think, I think he saw an inflection point. Now, I want to get in while we've got about four minutes left. I've I, I got to ask you about the South China Sea because we keep talking about, you know, you're the first one that you know, brought it to our attention the, the years ago, the uh, unrestricted warfare, economic war, information war, tech war, not kinetic war. Is, is this activity in the South China Sea of the Chinese starting to fire missiles? Are we inexorably being drawn in, you think, to a shooting war in the South China Sea? Well, there's always the risk of that. Uh, what we're seeing is uh, the contrasting interests of the United States for freedom of navigation, for support of allies and, and um, the, the status quo versus Beijing's interest to take control of that space, right, in, in keeping with what they're also doing in pressuring India, uh, threats to Taiwan, conceivably against Mongolia, um, uh, relatively soon. So we're seeing that contest of interest. And as part of that, 
although we've been relatively tardy in responding, right, we're beginning to see the right conventional force posture flowing uh, to the South China Sea. We're seeing greater support from allies uh, who had reason to doubt whether the United States was going to be, be for them, uh, be, be there for them uh, in the face of China's rise and uh, expansion. So territory is zero sum, right? Either they're going to own it or we're going to own it. And so um, that poses the central problem, that as our interests clash, there's going to be a military component of that, as there already is, um, between U.S. Navy and uh, People's Liberation Army Navy uh, and their maritime forces, their equivalent of their Coast Guard. Uh, so it's a, there's always the risk there of escalation, um, that as we had with the Soviet Union, we had an incidence of sea treaty because we recognized that, well, uh, ships bumping up against one another from opposing nations is not a good idea. So what we tried to do with the Soviets was to separate that. Right? We, we don't have anything like that with China. Right? So it's quite likely that there's going to be incidences um, between surface vessels um, uh, in uh, the South China Sea. Let, let me ask and you, Dr. Thayer, let, let me ask you something. We've got about a minute and a half left. I want to ask you, Joe Biden's been essentially crickets. They're criticizing Trump. It's incoherent. He doesn't work with allies. It's all this America first. But the Biden campaign has not come back and responded to this all. Do you believe they have to now with the throwdown of Tom Cotton and Donald Trump last night from the White House? It's in their interest to respond to that. It's in their interest to uh, explain their positions on, on China. This should not be a partisan issue. It should be bipartisan. Right? That U.S. Uh, uh, interest in international politics and U.S. power and the liberal order that it created should be sustained. And China should be resisted. Right? That, that should be almost all Americans should um, subscribe to that. Uh, that view uh, and, and, and that belief. So the response is, is necessary, and the form that it will take is risky for the Biden campaign. They cannot be cast as defending the old regime, right, even if that's their inclination. Um, and so they're going to have to begin to grudgingly uh, and indirectly, obliquely, uh, recognize that Trump is right on China and that it is a threat to the U.S. And, it, and the international order, and it needs to be checked. Dr. Thayer, how do people get access to your, uh, your Twitter handle and your writings? Well, I, I tweet with my colleague, Lin Xiao Han, at uh, Thayer Han and the number one. So T-H-A-Y-E-R-H-A-N and one. Thank you very much. Lin Xiao, Dr. Thayer, thank you very much for joining us today in the War Room. Okay, we're going to take a short commercial break. When we come back, we're going to get into more of this, uh, one of the central parts that unites the Republican Party. I think unites the American people is this attitude towards the Chinese Communist Party. Bill Gertz will join us next. War Room Pandemic with Stephen K. Bannon. The epidemic is a demon, and we cannot let this demon hide. War Room. Pandemic. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. And before the China virus came in, 
produced the best unemployment numbers for African Americans, Hispanic Americans, and Asian Americans ever recorded. The China virus. Okay, now we've got uh, one of the top experts just had Dr. Bradley Thayer, an academic and a brilliant guy. Now we've got a uh, a man in the uh, in the action. Bill Gertz, top investigative reporter, got a great story. National Pulse is breaking. Uh, we'll get to that in a minute. I want to, Gertz, everybody wants to know and have you on today, your response in thinking of Tom Cotton's throwdown last night uh, uh, to, to Beijing and to Biden and then Donald Trump. So I want to go first to Beijing. How do you think they're responding to the Chinese Communist Party when for the first time ever they were called out by name, not China, not the Chinese people, the Chinese Communist Party, first time they've ever been called out at a national convention or really in a national forum? What, what do you, how do you think they're, what, how do you think they're, what do you think they're chewing on today? Uh, yeah, uh, usually they take a couple of days to digest some of these speeches, but uh, already I can tell you that China has been engaged in a massive anti-U.S. propaganda campaign uh, for the last several months. And this campaign is focused primarily on uh, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, who's been vilified they put cartoons in there. Uh, they are all blaming him for souring U.S.-China relations, when in fact what they're really doing is putting U.S.-China relations on a real footing. They're saying, look, we can no longer allow China to uh, rip us off technologically. Uh, I had a column this week from an FBI report that said the, the amounts are uh, $225 billion to $600 billion annually in theft of technology by China from the United States. No nation can survive with that kind of uh, uh, technology theft. But uh, clearly, they, they'll probably ratchet up their propaganda campaign. They're going to basically uh, continue to push the, uh, the idea that uh, the United States is making a mistake by taking a hard line on China. What about uh, the Biden campaign? has been, and by the way, we're with Bill Gertz of the Washington Times. He's got great stories. We're going to get into all of them, uh, including the tech theft. Uh, the Biden campaign, they've been essentially crickets on this, right? A couple of months ago, they tried a little uh, to do some reverse uh, jujitsu and try to say Trump was weak on China. But they've been stunningly passive about this. Given the types and depths of throwdown last night, and just Tom Cotton said that they aided and abetted the rise of the Chinese Communist Party, that they were guilty of uh, supporting the drug cartels and shipping fentanyl here, which I think kills 50,000 people a year, right? It's the pl first plague they sent us uh, in that they are, um, you know, and that they unleashed this global plague, which I say, hey, if they unleashed it, then, you know, we ought to be thinking about genocide. You know, it's CCP lied, Americans died. CCP lied, Chinese citizens died. CCP lied, Canadians, Australians, Europeans died. Having Cotton throw down and then Trump following because, you know, Trump, uh, Cotton was there to tee up. Can Biden just avoid this? Or now the American people, I think, are starting to get the, the, fact, the facts here and the focus. Can Biden avoid this or eventually they're going to have to address it, Bill? Well, in terms of the uh, political campaign, I think Biden is definitely going to have to take a harder line. And the reason is uh, because so many American workers, the, the Trump administration and President Trump in particular has stolen the working man uh, uh, argument narrative uh, from the Democrats. It used to be that the Democrats were always a supporter of the working man, the average person. Uh, clearly the Republicans are in the lead on that now. 
Uh, and the Democrats, if they're going to win, they're going to have to try and take that away from the Republicans. And again, it's a it's a major political campaign issue. So they're going to make some more noises about trying to bring back jobs, to try and uh, put pressure on China. But I think the record is clear. Uh, Biden and Obama and, and successive administrations, both Republican and Democrat, uh, basically had this appeasement approach to China, which was devastating for the American economy, devastating for our industrial base, and devastating for the future of the country. Uh, we're on track now with the harder line policies uh, by the uh, uh, Trump administration to rectify some of these wrongs. And uh, that's a winning issue, I think, for the Republicans. The uh Dr. Thayer said that Biden can't be a supporter of the old regime. You can't go back to the way it was, this kind of uh, not just linkage, but it, it, worse than accommodation, really exacerbating their rise. This thing about the Thucydides trap, where we're the declining power, they're the rising power, and let's nudge them so that they're, they kind of take on more of our stuff, that the more the wealthier they get, the, more, the freer they will get, which is all nonsense. Do you think in their mind that the Democrats think that they can go back when you clearly see a decoupling? Big story today in one of the uh, British papers about how they're focused on, uh, you know, the Eurasian landmass, which we keep talking about with Russia and Turkey and Iran and Pakistan and North Korea uh, in one belt, one road, that they're looking to build that that domestic market globally. And they're, you know, they're thinking about Germany, et cetera. Do you um, do you think that Biden is, is soft walking this or slow walking this so that? They can, if they beat Trump, they can go back to the way things were? Oh, absolutely. I think Biden represents the ruling class in, in the worst connotation of all. I mean, they want to go back to doing business with China, the old school method, the appeasement of China, just trade with them, and that will have a moderating influence. Um, and they're going to ignore uh, the theft. They're going to ignore the expansionism, the mercantilism that we're seeing in, as you mentioned, the Belt and Road Initiative. Um, so they're going to make a lot of noises during the campaign about being tough on China. Uh, but in reality, they represent the, the failed ruling class policies of the last 30 years, which have created this monster of the Chinese Communist Party ruled China uh, aggressiveness uh, and assertiveness that we're seeing, especially in places like the South China Sea, East China Sea, uh, and, and towards Taiwan. I think those are the real flashpoints that, uh, uh, you know, beyond economics, that's really the security threats that we're facing from China. They've got a bunch of new weapon systems. Uh, they just tested some advanced missiles in the South China Sea. They're sending a message. and. Uh, they're untested in battle, and uh, their military is going to try. They, they could very easily miscalculate, and that's, again, what the Pentagon fears most is that some uh, Chinese general will miscalculate and set off a, a regional conflict with the United States. The reason they have these missiles and they'd be able to do it is, back to your FBI report, the, the technology theft, at the $600 billion a year, I, I saw analysis has been $3 trillion dollars like in the last 10 years, or some extraordinary number, $3 trillion of our intellectual property, not paid for at all, not monetized, but $3 trillion has basically been lifted by the Chinese Communist Party. It's one of the reasons they've got all this advancement in, uh, on the Internet in these tech companies, but it's also military hardware. How did we allow that to happen, Bill, and has the Trump administration cracked down hard enough? Uh we allowed it to happen because of these appeasement policies. I, I, I trace this going back 20 years and longer. 
And the argument was, oh, let's not pressure the Chinese. And the Chinese played a brilliant strategic game to fool the United States, successive government officials. Uh, listen, we're the future. Invest in us. Don't pressure us because we have 1.4 billion people. If we collapse, then uh, we'll have a major problems for the entire world. So they sold that false narrative to successive administrations, and uh, it's it's resonated. They've they've literally bought off former politicians, corporations, business leaders. Uh, this FBI report, which I reported on in the Washington Times, is was really eye-opening in presenting case studies of how they did it. And it involved both the commercial sector, where they stole advanced technology, uh, and in the uh, in the official government sector, where they literally were engaged in traditional espionage, uh, getting contractors to give them classified defense information. And all of this was going into a highly centralized program that Beijing was organized to both modernize the civilian economy, but in a more threatening sense, to build up their military forces with one goal in mind, one goal. And that goal is to confront and ultimately clash and defeat the United States in a future conflict. Well, um, Bill, I wanted to get your get your take on this as well. I'm literally hitting the the publish button right now on a big scoop on the National Pulse website about the uh, former Republican senator and Clinton era Secretary of Defense William Cohen. Now, William Cohen made headlines a couple of days ago, which is particularly bad when you've got Natalie Winters watching out. Um, but made headlines for endorsing. Joe Biden. We went and looked at who uh, William Cohen has been working for and with um, over the last few years. And it appears that he runs this consulting group, his own consulting group called the Cohen Group, which specifically has a China practice side of it. And the China practice side of it appears to employ Chinese Communist Party officials, Bill. Is this is this something that has been uh, well and long known? Because I look at the other names on the homepage of the Cohen Group, and you have people even even by the likes of like James Mattis, for instance, is a, is a brand new senior counselor for the Cohen Group. Yes, I know uh, uh, Bill Cohen from his time as Defense Secretary during the 90s. I traveled with him to China on several occasions. Um, it is uh, surprising. His Cohen group has always been among the most pro-China in terms of uh, uh, playing down the threat from China and engaging in unfettered business engagement uh, and uh, at great, I think, uh, detriment to the American national security. Um, they've looked the other way on China's uh, nefarious activities, and they've just tried to make as much money as possible. I mean, uh, this is right in the model of what Henry Kissinger has done for decades, which was make tens of millions of dollars connecting companies in China through his connections with Chinese leaders and Chinese officials. Um, it's, uh, it's part and parcel of, of something that the Trump administration needs to address, and that is the uh, Chinese influence threat. Uh, we've looked at their technology theft threat, we've looked at their military threat, but very little has been done on the influence side of things. Uh, we need to identify the Chinese influence networks in the United States, uh, their paid and unpaid agents, uh, and what they're doing. Uh, there have been some impressive prosecutions by the Justice Department on a lot of these cases, but much more needs to be done. Uh, I think uh, the FBI really needs to step up its game when it comes to Chinese influence operations. Uh, Bill, uh, can we? Um, is it possible to hold you over for, through the next segment? Is that a possibility? 
Yeah. Okay. Uh, I want to start. There's this thing breaking this week. Let's start with it, and we'll do it over the break, about the Nikki Lum Davis. Uh, I guess the FBI, there's a criminal complaint about her. She's a fundraiser. I know you're doing some analysis on that, and it's really back in your book, Deceiving the Sky, which is a must-read. We'll put the... uh, the cover-up on it in the next segment, Deceiving Sky, this amazing book you, you wrote about the Chinese Communist Party versus the United States. Um, walk us through what's happening there. we got about a, uh, about a minute, and then we'll jump a break and bring you back to finish. Well, sure. Uh, there was a, uh, a what's known as a criminal information released by prosecutors in Hawaii last week, and this information uh, in a very uh, loosely masked wet fashion outlined a major uh, lobbying effort on behalf of China uh, by a number of people, including a uh, political consultant in Hawaii named Nikki Lum Davis. Uh, And uh, it involves Elliot Broidy, a former uh, Republican financier, uh, Los Angeles-based financial guy, as well as a a a former uh, hip-hop rapper named Praz Michelle, uh, Michael, and uh, of course, uh, the fugitive financier, uh, Low Tech Joe. He's uh, wanted for uh, money, money laundering and embezzlement regarding some $4 billion from uh, the 1MD, 1MDB. Bill, can you hang on one second and take a short commercial break? Be back with Bill Gertz, Washington Times Influence Operations next. With Stephen K. Bannon. The epidemic is a demon, and we cannot let this demon hide. War Room Pandemic. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. It's game on day because last night was the end of, uh, not the end of the beginning, but it is the end of one phase, and now starts the run up 60 days, 60, 60, and I wake up or close to it until we. Um, until we have the last day of voting. That's November 3rd. Vish, where are the Democrats and the mainstream media this morning? Total mumble tank. There's no unified message. There's no proper attack line. They're just in the mumble tank. They They weren't expecting it, were they not, Mr. Rahim Kassam? Well, I'm going through the... you know, liberal media homepages here. CNN's leading with Jacob Blake and what happened to Jacob Blake when he woke up um, after he was shot. Uh, MSNBC is rolling with uh, no one was wearing masks last night. Um, BBC America is leading with Top Gear. Uh, the Washington Post uh, talking about uh, violence uh, across the United States as its lead on their site right now. And the this New York a, Times yeah. Republicans cast election as crusade against violent disorder. This is a uh, tell. Only the New York Times got it. The yeah. crusade starts. OK, I want to go back to Bill Gertz, Washington. Before we continue with the Nikki Lum Davis, quickly, Bill, a huge breaking news today. Prime Minister Abe stepping down. He's with Mode uh, Morrison in Australia, Modi in India. Uh, you know, one of our partners in this Alliance of Liberty. How big a deal is this? Uh, very important. He is absolutely a uh, central core ally for the United States, specifically when it comes to China. Uh, he's been a hawk on China. He's been very tough. Uh, uh, again, he also, of course, the media is not playing that up. They're all playing his role in what's known as Abenomics or Abe uh, economics. Um, he has uh, said that he's uh, in ill health, and as a result of his ill health, he's going to step down. 
that means uh, the next prime minister is going to have a big challenge. I can tell you right now the big debate within Japan is uh, over whether to be tough on China or whether to bolster the health care system for uh, Japan's aging population. Um, again, uh, Abe was a tremendous ally for the United States and was very, very clear-eyed on the threat from China. By the way, it sounds like the, the debate here in, the, in the America, tough on China or, you know, do these domestic, all these worded domestic is, issues while we implode. Bill, let's go back to the influencers. What you, you, in deceiving the sky, what, it, it, the importance of what they've been trying to do, how they're spreading money into government officials. you got Higginbotham. And particularly, I want to wrap up with Miles Bo. They're spending tens of millions of dollars to try, trying to extract our, our colleague that's been so powerful in the whistleblower movement, the new federal state, and exposing the CCP. Yeah, it's a two-pronged uh, illicit lobbying effort involving uh, the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, I think what was new in the information released in Hawaii last week was this meeting that took place uh, in Shenzhen in 2017, uh, between Sun Li Jun, who was a, at the time the Vice Minister of Public Security, one of the most senior Communist Party of China officials uh, involved in security matters. And he had a meeting with this woman, Nikki Lum Davis, as well as Elliot Broidy and also uh, uh, Joe Tech Lo, the uh, fugitive Malaysian financier. And at that meeting, they uh, launched a two-pronged lobbying effort. One was to end to lobby senior American officials, including the Attorney General at the time, Jeff Sessions, uh, the uh, Director of Homeland uh, Security at the time, uh, that was uh, John Kelly, and also the President himself. And it was a, it's a fairly extraordinary case, and again, I outlined most of it in, uh, in my book, Deceiving the Sky. Uh, and uh, yeah, the second part was to go after uh, Miles Guo, who is this dissident billionaire who is a, a, a hero to m millions of Chinese who want to see an end to the Communist Party of China. And this identifies uh, an effort to lobby the United States on behalf of China and Sun Li Jun, this vice minister of public security, to forcibly repatriate uh, Guo Wenghui, Miles Kwok. Uh, he goes by both names. And uh, this was a real eye-opener to see this. Uh, in my book, I had a, a statement from uh, Mr. Guo, who, who said, this is uh, my so-called $2 billion life. What the uh, information didn't have, or which I had, shows that uh, these people had a, had a plan, a, a scheme. And the scheme was that they believed that Abu Dhabi, that they, they falsely accused uh, Mr. Guo of uh, taking $2 billion from Abu Dhabi. And their plan was to convince the Trump administration to extradite uh, Guo to Abu Dhabi and then on to China. And in exchange, they would, they would cash in on the supposed $2 billion that they would get uh, from returning Guo there. Uh, it's, a it's a remarkable story, uh, and uh, it involves some of the most powerful people. I think uh, one thing that, that I also had was that Steve Wynn, the former uh, Las Vegas casino magnet was involved, uh, where this financier, Elliot Broidy, who was deputy finance chair for the Republican National Committee, uh, went to Steve Wynn, and on his boat, they actually called uh, President Trump and tried to find out how they could get Guo Wenhui sent back to China. 
Um, as you're probably aware of this from your time at the White House, uh, luckily the president didn't do that and cooler heads prevailed within the White House and they said, no, we've got to keep this guy here. He's, a, he's a, an important resource for understanding uh, the details of what's going on inside the Communist Party of China and we've got to protect it. Uh, last thing, do you think we ever go back to the old ways? Do you think we ever go back to the... Uh now that is clearly a throwdown and they're starting to expose the influence operations, the connections on Wall Street, corporate America. Do you think as more and more information comes out that there's any possibility that people re realize that these people, the Chinese Communist Party is at war with the United States? You can put, you can say as nicely as you want, maybe it's not a kinetic war now, but certainly an economic information technology war as outlined in the FBI report and all that. we got about 30 seconds, Bill. I think it's still, uh, it's not codified in law. All of the best things that the United States has done regarding China have been put into law. The 1979 Taiwan Relations Act made Taiwan an unofficial ally. Uh, the annual, uh, the Tiananmen sanctions that were imposed after the massacre in 1989 are still in place. Uh, those are the kinds of things that need to be done to codify the Trump administration's policies. and. Uh, I don't see that happening uh, between now and the end of the year. However, a second Trump administration should clearly uh, work on establishing really strong legislative curbs to, first of all, identify China as the enemy, as an adversary, not just a strategic competitor, but the enemy of the United States that seeks our destruction. And we need to better educate the American public to that, and we need to be better educate uh, our policymakers and leaders. Bill, fantastic. Enemy of the United States. The uh, Oh, we got the music to go. Okay. It's grit out. Tomorrow, Miles Grove, CCP's War Against the World, special edition.